Kiora, ni hao, and hello. Welcome to the Chiwei Journal podcast. I'm your host, Camilla Yang. On the show, I interview global citizens who follow a unique path to build a better future, and share stories and tips they learned along the way. Our conversations are focused on culture observations, technology trends, career development, and philosophy. My guest today is Chance Taken. Chance is currently remote working at OnDeck, and he is also co-founder at Chengdu. We discussed his digital nomad lifestyle, 1729 Discord community, pseudonym economy, community management tips, and more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show, Chance. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Where are you based at the moment? I'm currently in Istanbul, Turkey. Although I'll be going somewhere next week. Oh wow! When we met each other online, I'm very interested in your experience. What motivates you to be a digital nomad? It's、uh, a great question. I think I've just been doing this for a long time now and enjoy it.、Uh, I really enjoy、uh, visiting a different country and kind of soaking up the different culture and the way of life. Ever since I first experienced that, it's kind of it's almost like a, a drug of sorts. You, it's very exciting. I would say that's why I still do it. It's, it's actually habit now. It's routine. Like it's actually harder for me to. To go home and settle down in Canada, for example, whenever I go back, it、uh, it feels almost the opposite of normal. Yeah. So where have you been in the past years? So I've been mainly around Asia and Europe would be the main areas. So started off in Seoul and then popped around to a lot of the the normal nomadic spots in Chiang Mai, Bangkok,、uh, Kuala Lumpur,、mm-hmm. uh, Vietnam, and Ho Chi Minh City. Where else in Asia? I did Bali for one month once, and then in Europe, Romania, a couple different cities. In、uh, Prague was my home base for a long time. So I, what I would do is I would stay in Prague for a few months, and then I would go elsewhere, either to Asia for a few months or、uh, back to Canada for a few months, that sort of thing.、Um, and then right before COVID, I went to Tbilisi, Georgia, and that ended up being my home base, kind of around. Covid, and then up until going to Turkey a few weeks ago, that's where I was. So, how do you cope with the?、Um, I'll say like loneliness, because you know when I first moved to England, I know nobody, and the Covid just hit. There's no chance for me to meet new friends. It's probably not good for my mental health if I don't know anyone to talk to. So, how do you cope with that since you move? Around quite often. Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's it is a difficult thing. I think it's kind of an open problem right now. It helps in that I'm both extroverted and really enjoy. I'm very independent as well. I kind of like an odd combination of those two things. And but I I have sort of because I've been doing it for so long. I should say before COVID. After COVID, it's a little bit up in the air of how this would work. But before COVID, I could land into a city, get set up within maybe two three weeks. And as when I mean set up, I mean kind of like my routines, a gym, apartment, a group of friends to hang out with,、uh, different social groups, that sort of thing. And there's various ways you could do that. Like each city is different, but Meetup.com is good in a lot of cities where you can、uh, essentially just choose. Different events that are going on weekly, and they're almost like little mini communities that you can kind of tap into, and they're usually like activity based or interest based, like a book club or hiking 
or my favorite ones are running ones because I love running. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I meet like other runners, uh, I can kind of tap into that world. Um, and then sometimes they don't have meetups. Sometimes it's in Facebook groups. You can kind of, each city will have like an expats in blank or nomads in blank. Um, and that is usually a good place for, that's more so less social. It's more so for just all of the little things that you need to know going to a new city. Like what do I, how do I find an apartment here? Or I, I need a PCR test. Where do I go? Do you have like any resources you normally use? Airbnb would be a huge one. That's mainly where I stay. I'll stay in Airbnbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Airbnb is, it covers, you know, there's a lot of high friction around, a lot of friction around like an uh, apartment. Like how do I get an apartment? It's kind of, uh, you know, um, and Airbnb kind of covers that. They basically sell trust is essentially what they're selling, right? I can trust an Airbnb in the same way Uber. You go to the, especially at airports, you go to the airport. And that's like notoriously where you get scammed in, in taxis. Uh, but if you can get an Uber or it's usually different, I think it's Bolt in, in Georgia. Uh, I forget what, the, every country basically has their own version of it now. That just covers, you know, mm-hmm. I don't worry about getting scammed if I have that. I don't worry about scammed if I have Airbnb. And so those are two main things. So I would say those are two main tools. And then, as I said, like meetup.com or um, Facebook groups, but also I don't tend to, I tend to go to these places I've already been. Um, and then I'll, I don't venture, like I'll venture maybe venture one or two places. So it's kind of a weird, it's a weird, I think for people who are nomad for a long time, they, they find like home bases. And then you, so I, when I go back to Georgia, which I think I'll go next week, I'm pretty sure, um, either there or Izmir, I'm not sure. But if I go back to Georgia, like I have a group of friends there, I know everything there, um, it's like I just jump back into a community that I'm already a part of. I see. That's great. So how do you make a living while doing digital nomad life? So I work remotely for a company called OnDeck, and that would be how. Although uh, I've had different jobs over the years. I have worked on a project-based edtech company called Chingu, which still runs. Um, and I also have done teaching. That's originally what I did. I was a teacher. Uh, ESL teacher. Um, and so I did that for a few years part-time as well as running things. Uh, yeah. Do you find it's easy to find a remote job recently, especially after the COVID? I think it's probably yeah easier than it ever has been. Uh, before COVID, it was, I think it was still very much up and coming. Um, but definitely now after COVID, it's completely, we'll have to see what happens uh, whenever normal, if we ever get to normal, whatever normal is considered. Uh, but I'm very curious to see because a big issue before was you could have like a lot of jobs where they could be remote before, but just sort of the paradigm was used being used to the office and COVID was a forcing function to make people not be in the office. It's now people know like both companies and employees, especially employees know like, Oh, I don't actually have to be in the office. Like I don't have to commute an hour every day or, or, in Canada, two hours potentially. You know? <laughs> yes. um, and so I'm curious to see what happens. I think employers will want people to come back for the most part, uh, mm-hmm. but we're seeing it right now. At least um, I'm involved in a lot of kind of keep an eye on the software developer world. And that's a big, that's a big kind of debate and fight going on right now, actually, even playing out places like Apple and Facebook even. Mm-hmm. You are the co-founder of Chengu, which is a collaboration online platform for web developer. Yeah, and specifically for learning um, or job op, job prep. Yeah, it's basically people need, there's a weird thing going on now where companies, I didn't say weird, but it's uh, uh, fairly normal for companies to want to hire entry-level developers 
who have experience though. So it's kind of a, a bit of a, a chicken and egg problem. Like how do I get experience if I can't get an entry level job? Uh, but how can I get an entry level job if they want people with experience? So Chingu kind of fits that, that, that kind of space. What's your users? What's the demographic look like? It depends when, so Chingu started in 2016 and for about three years it was run basically free. Uh, we did remote cohorts mm-hmm. and I just sort of was, it was like a passion project for a long time. Um, but then it was big enough that we decided, okay, let's turn it into something, uh, a startup. And so two people who had, who were members became co-founders with me. So before then we had 140 different countries had come in. So in the, the three years previous, so like the majority of the world's countries had joined. So that was, you know, it was a very broad uh, demographic country-wise. But then once we went to paid, it was very much America, Canada, UK, Japan, Germany, uh, countries that you could imagine, like you would expect. Um, but we've actually just recently transitioned back to free. And um, I'm not really sure what we'll do with it. I think we're just sort of open to see what happens. I'm much happier to have it much open enjoy the the actual Chinko as a startup, but I'm much more interested in what it can achieve uh, as far as like helping people around the world. And so I was much less interested when we went to paid, to be honest. It was less uh, exciting for me, harder for me to be engaged. So what's the ultimate problem you are going to solve with Chengu? From those two sides. For the developer side, it's just they need experience, A, and also there's a thing called tutorial purgatory, which is this phenomenon for people learning, self-directed learners. I think it applies probably to any discipline, but it definitely applies to software developers, is you can find content, tutorials, all this is basically everywhere in either free or cheap. Um, Udemy courses are the big one for software developers. It's like $10 for a course. So, uh, self-directed learners in these this space, they'll have like five, 10 Udemy courses they don't touch. Maybe they do 5% of it and then they just never touch it. Um, so a big issue there is that people don't, they just don't do the work. It's hard to just procrastinating, watching tutorials and you feel like you're learning and then you go to build something and you have no idea. Mm-hmm. So from the developer side, that's what we're helping with. And then the other side, on the employer side, like right now in startup worlds, and it's just a huge pipeline issue for experienced developers. Mm-hmm. Even at, I work it on deck, it's very founder centric and about like really focused around startups. And I see it all the time in Slack at work and in the fellowships. People are like, where is it? Tech- who- we need technical people. Like, we need engineers, uh, and there's a huge shortage. Yeah. So, we're trying to solve that as well. So, tell me about some details about OnDeck. What, what is that, and what's your role there? OnDeck is an awesome, uh, fairly new startup that kind of came to life during COVID or uh, around that. It existed prior, and at COVID, it just shot to space basically. Uh, it's a cohort model, a remote cohort model for learning. And it basically has a cohort for different topics and ranges. So they've had everything from writers, uh, just a design mm-hmm. fellowship. Their flagship one is the founder fellowship. Um, so anyone who wants to build something or, or they are building something, they come together and it's like really, really high quality uh, a batch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's pretty shocking, actually, when you go in there and see... It's like, oh, I used to work at Google and now I'm building this. Or I was at Facebook and that's like a normal person. Like that's kind of, a, uh, it's very normal. Like, oh, is that it? You just worked at Google? Like oh, nothing nothing more than that? And then there's health tech, climate tech, 
Um, I think they even just launched a longevity one, which is super exciting. And they also are experimenting with uh, drops in physical location. So they had a Miami one, which was really interesting. Um, and then they're doing a New York one as we speak. To so my role, I started as an experience associate there. And so kind of like a data analysis, somewhat design, uh, supporting the fellowships and the program directors. Um, but I've since switched to, I think my official title is matchmaking lead. That's cool Yeah, it's an odd title. I, I, when I tell people that, they're like, do you work for a dating company? Yeah, like, yeah, it sounds like that. Yeah, yeah, especially if you think like the India context. You know, India, there's like in that they have a matchmaker is like a, an important role in their society, like matching. Yeah, prop, yeah. Same in China, there's a proper professor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So matchmaker, yeah. I, I might need to change that. Uh, but it's essentially like, one of the things that really excited me about On Deck and one of the reasons why I was drawn to it was it's just this amazing network of all these different uh, uh, ambitious, successful, talented people in all these different disciplines. And so I'm thinking, like, how can we best connect them? Um, and I should just give a, a little more context with Chingu. It's basically the same thing, was connecting learners. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the thesis of Chingu is that if we bring people together and, and optimally connect them or advantageously connect them into teams, pair programming, or even cohorts itself, um, you can can create this value that just didn't exist prior to that. Um, And so super Mm -hmm. exciting there. How can you connect these people? So when you connect people from different cultures and backgrounds, have you noticed any problems or challenges? Take me as an example, when I live in New Zealand, I'm a Chinese and I do encounter some culture differences and similarities and some stereotypes. So I'm very curious, based on your experience, have you noticed anything interesting you'd like to share? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, yeah, so in Chingu, as I said, was, I think it was it's 140 people that have been through. So you can imagine, that's, I think that's like 71 or something like that percent of the world's countries. So we definitely have had this as something we have to be aware of. And, and I've, I've put a lot of thought in design work around how can you create an environment that all of mm-hmm. these people can in, come into and feel like super welcome and, and to be able to collaborate. Because, um, yeah, you'll be, be like if you're putting someone from Nigeria, uh, Zimbabwe, UK and the Netherlands all in one team together mm-hmm. and just say, like, yeah. go. Um, <laughs> and it's, it is really interesting. I think it's a really uh, unique experience for people and it's a good learning experience just from that for people to do it and to kind of learn on their, you know, as they go. There have been lots of like, I guess, funny situations, maybe some odd ones too, some challenges. Like I, uh, yeah. what would be one example that would be safe to talk about? Uh, just a lot of countries, <laughs> even like with matching, countries have deep um, histories, right? So especially, you know, you know this in China, one of the longest histories of, of human civilization. Um, you know, I don't think this is much of an issue. I've never had to think about this, but like China and Japan would be an example. Like that's no, there's no issues there matching, but uh, like, for example, India, Pakistan, could that be potentially be an issue, you know, or in the Middle East, there are um, things that have to be aware of. Usually not an issue, but like I have had to ban people because they DM someone basically and said like you're from this country so I hate you. Oh, uh, oh I see. Um, yeah. And had to just be like, sorry, we, can't, you know, like I understand. There's a lot of uh, different, you know, deep histories and rivalries and all this stuff that I can't understand. But 
We just can't have that here. But for the most part, it's been complete. There's never been a huge blow up around that stuff. It's, it's been it's been fine, uh, but it has been super interesting. And I think it's part of like the charm of Chingu and why I'm super happy to go back to what we started from is that when we launched a, we call them voyages, essentially a cohort, um, there'd be like a group of people coming together and then we group people into teams, software teams um, for the most part, uh, or different challenges. You know, you'd set up these teams and be like, okay, what, is our, what are our stats for this fellowship? And so we'd tell, you know, part of the design is like really celebrating that diversity. Yeah. Um, and it was just such an interesting and exciting experience to be able to see like, we've got people from 43 different countries in this exact cohort with 200 people, this number of teams, and just like celebrating that. Uh, it was just super, super fun. So let's talk about 1729. That's where we met each other. <laughs> I think it's under a Startup City post. Yeah, I yeah. leave some comments, then you reply back, then yeah. you create a Discord community. So what motivates you to create the yeah. Discord community and gather people together? I'm just I'm a community builder at heart. That's just who I am. Even when I was a kid, I just like my friends, kind of like I like to bring people together and, and especially people who don't normally would fit together. I like to try to find ways that they can relate to each other. So it's like a personal thing just from, I guess, who I am as a person. But I think also with my my experience with Chingu has sort of made a lot of this stuff is, is a lot easier for me because I have just been doing it. Like Chingu's, I forget how many, but it's around 70 different cohorts. So you can think of each cohort as like a mini little community um, and all remote. So Slack, a Discord, all these different tools, I'm, I'm experienced with them. So when I was first, I think I listened to the Tim Ferriss podcast with, with Bology and just got really excited about when he talked about uh, digital native first education. Um, that's that's kind of the, the thesis or the theme. I'm yeah. very excited and interested in, in helping improve things around the future of education. And so I'm interested in a lot of the ideas he was talking about, but that one specifically inspired me. And so after that, I just sent him a DM like right away. It's been like, hey, this is my experience. I've, I've, uh, if you're ever interested in doing like community-based learning, peer-based learning, I'd love to help and advise in whatever way. Uh, I just keep doing what you're doing. This is awesome. And I was shocked that he just replied and say like, thanks or whatever. And he's like, cool. Wow. I never, and also I just say I'm pretty naive with Twitter. Yeah. I don't, uh, I just recently got into it. Maybe basically when I started on deck. Um, and so I was like, wow, you could just message people and they'll apply. That's so crazy. Yeah. Um, then fast forward a couple of weeks, I was hanging around the 1729 website because I'm just really interested in these ideas. I could sense people wanting to connect and wanting to have a space. And I think a few people even mentioned and like very directly. Um, and so maybe the first time I was like, okay, I'll see, I'll wait and see what happens. And the second time, maybe and the third time or something, I was like, okay, I have to do this. And I just, so I just threw up a Discord, I just like kind of did a quick design of channel structure, some basic comms, maybe a, a GIF or two, uh, and then just threw it up. And I really honestly had no idea what would happen. I like I didn't even know if they would even allow it. I think I wrote in my message like, mods, if this is okay, feel free to remove it if it's not okay. Um, but they let it stay and, and quite a few people came and such sure. a, an amazing group. I was shocked. Yeah, it's also an experiment for the decentralized community. Because uh, 1729, they started the initiative. Then we, as a member, we just do our own stuff. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah it's cool. They allowed it as well. 
And for the DM thing, I find it's super useful because before I was very intimidated by those verified accounts. I never like DM them. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I also DM Balaji because I translated his um, uh, Tim Ferriss podcast with him. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's not like a one-by-one translation. Oh, okay. It's like a summary. Because ah, yeah. okay. I do love his idea mm. and his deep knowledge mm. on so many different topics. Yeah, crypto, the China-US relation, Indian, yeah. Mm. So yeah, I just share with him. Then he said, yeah, good work. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> What's the goal for the Discord community? What would you like to achieve? I would like to bring energy to these topics, uh, kind of maybe fresh energy. So I'm, I come from a, a different, I don't come from this world, uh, you could say. I come from more of like the education world, the developer world, and and. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that sort of thing. And I was, I would just like to bring energy to these spaces, like startup cities. Like this is a really exciting, interesting topic yeah. with tons of potential. And I think we're also in a place in the world right now where I think in throughout history, we have these periods of time where ideas are just more open or people as societies are more open to new things, open to change. Um, and I think certain mm-hmm. things happen that bring that to life. I think with COVID going on and seeing how all of these institutions have just maybe not held up as, as well as we thought they would around the world. Um, I think there's an opportunity for people are really starting to think in, in ways that in, are a lot more open-minded about ideas. Uh, so there's a certain energy that really excites me and I just want to sort of help around that and help these topics with whatever skills I have. So sort of community building, uh, would be one, maybe cohort-based learning would be another, or courts, remote courts in general, that sort of thing. Can you give me some examples that the interesting people you met on the Discord community? Oh, examples, there's a lot. There's 50 plus at least. This is kind of <laughs> one of the, the, one of the uh, amazing things about community building. It's you, part of the job is basically getting to know people mm-hmm. and finding out what they're interested in and yeah. then trying to help route them into relevant conversations um, I think probably meeting just the whole like interacting with people who have the pseudonyms have just been super interesting to me. Like yeah. talking to people who the thing I love about it is that you can't judge them on anything else. So like, for example, in the discord community, there are people who are, let's say like an investor or mm-hmm. something. Um, and they write that somewhere. Like I say, that, okay, you're an investor. That's cool. You've invested in all these different things. So that's cool. But I don't really know if that's real. I can only sort of um, judge you based on our conversations. Yeah. You know, because you have the pseudonym. I don't know who you are. Uh, and so there's something like really freeing and refreshing about that. Um, in the same way, I think doing starting a community with people who don't know you is also really interesting and exciting for the same reason. Because uh, like, let's say if I'm in Chingu, people know who I am generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that changes how they react to you. Like. It, uh, yeah, so, whereas in the start of this one, like I'm a nobody to all these people. <laughs> they don't know who I am. And so um, any everything has to be earned. You know, you have to earn respect from other people and it's just through action and, and conversations. So I wouldn't say like any one person, although I could say you know, probably a couple dozen people, but I would say that would be the main thing. It's like just interacting with pseudonyms is such an interesting experience yeah true i noticed that you change your name to a pseudonym a chance taken yeah, yeah so like <laughs> uh, I, it's, I 
it's kind of a silly story. I did that when I like 10 years ago, no, maybe 15 years ago on Facebook. Oh, okay. I just was like, yes. I don't trust Facebook. So I put taken as my last name. <laughs> okay. Um, and then, and so my Twitter actually was that for a long time. Like everything kind of was that for, I don't know why, I just got used to doing it. And then Facebook last summer disabled my account because of it, just randomly, oh. like after 15 years. They're just like, oh, really? Okay. you have a fake name. Um, you know, I get that just as chance anyways, half the time. Uh, but it was such a crazy experience. Like I lost, like, it's crazy how little we think about these, these online tools. And like, mm. you know, I had conversations with family, friends, people have died, uh, photographs, everything on there. Like it's like a part of my identity was on this and they just like, mm. just like that, they just disabled it and there's, they don't have a helpline. There's no way to get it back. So that kind of like freaked me out. And so I started using my real name again um, mm, for a few months. But then I was like, nah, I like to go back, go back to my. Yeah. yeah. That's a problem with um, institutional media. They can just shut your account without any reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's exactly. why I'm very fascinated with apologies, decentralized media concept. That's why I delete mm. my Instagram and Facebook and start to focus more on my own website. Oh, yeah. nice. That's the thing I can control. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually I really love that idea of the I forget he wrote somewhere. It was like the, mm. the sev, uh, he viewed seventeen twenty nine as a uh, bootloader for websites, for like personal websites or something. Like because of the the a lot of the tasks are asking you to create something, it's always suggesting like use on your own website somewhere or something, you know? Yeah, true. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, people should do more. Yeah. <laughs> when you start your career, what were you doing? Were you an English teacher? So originally, I I went to school for philosophy and I wanted to become a teacher. Like From high school, that's where I... Mm -hmm. Like when I left my high school while I was leaving, the English department brought me in and they're like, hey we'll see you when you're back. And they put like a kind of a joke, like a, my name tag on a desk. Cause they're like, you're going to come back here and work probably. Like they're basically saying like, you're going to be a teacher. Um, okay. And so that was kind of what I wanted to do. Then when I got to university, I was kind of like, wow, this place is terrible. I shouldn't say terrible, but it was just like a shock to me uh, as being the first person in my family to go to university I had all mm. these ideas uh, of what university would be. And it was like a big disappointment. Um, mm. This, the, some of the professors and just, yeah, I was just like, wow, this is what they're paying for this. Um, so anyways, then I was like, okay, I can't, very quickly I learned like I do not want to go to teacher's college. I don't want to go to school after school. And so I shifted into journalism. I got really into journalism. Um, there was an editor at the newspaper at my university and that's kind of was my plan. But then the, the other time, the it was still like every city had a couple of different newspapers and they mm -hmm. were like they were very dominant and and arrogant uh so to like to get a newspaper job like the trump star then was this crazy experience um uh so then i shifted back to education but i didn't i was like i don't want to go to teacher's college unless i know this is like absolutely what i want to do and so i'd always wanted to travel like i grew up in the countryside and, and going to i actually chose the university of toronto partly because the majority of people in Toronto were uh, minorities, like born outside of Canada. So I've always been just excited about that, uh, different cultures and that sort of thing. So I decided to go overseas and teach in Korea and Seoul. Um, yeah, and so I started doing that uh, as an ESL teacher. So why Korea? 
do you have any other options or that's the only country you want to go? Uh, that was probably a silly reason. I think my girlfriend in high school and university, her sister was a teacher in Seoul. And so I got like secondhand information about that. Uh, and also one of my best friends in university is Korean ethnicity, uh, born in Seoul, but that he grew up in Canada. And so just these hearing about Korea and all of this, I was like, wow, this is, I want to go there. It seems awesome. Can you like adapt yourself in Korea? Because it's a like, total different country from where you're born. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, I, I had also, I should say, I was really interested in Asian culture in general. Like, and I took like a Chinese philosophy course and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I had like some background around cultural stuff, like uh, the sort of the Confucius mindset and that sort of thing, but nothing to prepare me for. I think anyone who goes to a different city uh, or a different country that's drastically different from your culture, you're going to have this sort of uh, culture shock. But in, from just the way I am, like, I'm just like, this is amazing. I love this. Like, I'm just sort of like hanging on every little difference. Um, and it was just such a, a life-changing experience. Just, just the idea of, I love having these conversations with people about their first maybe couple months in a different country uh, for their, in their life because when they move somewhere new, because you notice in yourself, you just start, I don't know how to explain it really, but it, you just notice all of these things that are different from your culture, but they're still okay. And it's it's like wow, it's just like, yeah, an amazing experience. Yeah, when I first moved to New Zealand, I hardly understand what they are talking about because <laughs> they speak English but a different oh, accent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, oh wow, I was doing great, adapt myself pretty quickly. It's very fascinating how quick you can mm. adapt. It's like we last year we were all in pandemic, but uh, we all coped very well. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's why we have achieved what we have as humans. That's what we're good at. We're good at adapting. True, true. So when you go back to Canada, do you feel like you are not belong to there anymore? Do you still consider Canada as home? Mm, that's a good question. It definitely is. Like I think, in like family is considered home. Wherever my family is, I'll I'll consider that home because I feel at home around them. But definitely, I think especially coming from. East Asia, I think so you would understand this for sure, going from East Asia to maybe Europe is a little bit better, like London, I think completely different, but probably New Zealand's closer to it. And just East Asia to something different, it's just crazy. Like, I mean, the, the infrastructure in East Asia, these major cities like Seoul, Hong Kong, uh, Shanghai, Taipei, you know, all these, Tokyo, Osaka, yeah. Kyoto, like just the infrastructure is on a different level because they have the density and they developed later. Uh, and so it's just, it's definitely a reverse culture shock being like, wow, the subway is so terrible in Toronto. Uh, it takes so long to get anywhere. Like everything is so slow. Uh, yeah, true. And, but the flip side is the in Canada, beautiful nature. It's wow. Oh my fresh air. This is amazing. Um, but I definitely find it a little difficult. I think Europe I really like because it has kind of the critical mass, has the history, the transportation is good generally, and it's just a it's a good quality of life. It kind of forces a quality of life on you a little bit more than I think Asia and, and North America. Yeah, do. true. So every time I go back to China, I just shocked by the technology progress. Yeah, the facial oh, recommendation, yeah. and every time I I use cash, people will give me a look. Where yeah, Where yeah. are you from? Yeah. Why you use cash? Yeah, yeah like kind of yeah. like look down almost like what is that? Yeah, yes. they look me like an alien. <laughs> yeah. It, it, 
it's so crazy too because I people generally I don't think enough people in the West understand this about East Asia uh, or Asia in general. Like just like if you go to Seoul, if you go to Tokyo, if you go to Beijing or like Shanghai, probably more so uh, Shenzhen. Like you're basically in the future from in like it feels like you're in the future uh, compared mm. to uh, like Toronto, probably New York. Yeah. Um, like Singapore is just like it looks like the future as well there. And it's, yeah, I don't think the I'm always shocked. Whenever I hear, keep in mind too, I'm from the countryside, so like relatives, um, they might have like, it takes time for people to, uh, for stereotypes to catch up. So like when I went to Korea, I'd get like jokes like, hey, you go to North or South or, or, or people would even have like these, I would say like more like grandparents style age. Like they would think Korea is just a super poor country, South Korea. Uh, it's like, you have no idea what's going on there. Like it's, it is crazy. Yeah. True. Even for people, when they think about China, they probably think yeah. 1970s China. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it changes dramatically every year. Yeah. The oh, speed yeah. is just amazing. Some, some of my favorite books have been this sort of, I don't know what the genre would be, but it's basically like, History for the last ten or twenty years in mm. X tiger nation, uh, like uh, you know, the tiger. What are they called? The tiger nations or tiger cities or something? I remember that Asian four tigers, Asian tigers. nation. Yeah. yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So much like just in China alone, I think migration has been the 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 largest migration in human history has happened in the last like thirty years in China. Mm-hmm. People, it's like something like I have to look up the number, but it's. Hundreds of millions of people have gone from X place to cities yeah, uh, within China alone. Mm-hmm. Like it's just uh, Canada. I don't know what the population is. It's in not even a hundred million, right? It's like thirty <laughs> or forty or something like that. Uh, it's just crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, due to the pandemic, people probably think about live not just stay in the tier one or two cities. They probably want to move to somewhere cheaper but a good life qualities what's your advice for people if they want to experience digital nomad life yes yeah, so this this is uh, something i'm really interested in and biology talks about a little bit talking about uh like, this is like a an, like an obvious larger trend that seems like it's going to happen or it's a high probability that it will happen in that if things go to normal or relatively mm-hmm. normal and suddenly people have all these remote jobs. Some percentage of those will go back to the office, but some percentage of them won't. So you'll have all these people who have remote jobs and they live in very expensive cities uh, for the most part. Um, and where it would be Western Europe, yeah. uh, America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, wherever. And um, so the question is like, how long will it take for them to, it also depends on like what, what routes you have, um, but he talks about it as mm-hmm. like if he was someone, I think it's the question they asked him, like if you were young in your career, what would you do? And he was like, I would get a remote job and I would go to one of these uh, cheaper countries because you're, you're saving crazy amounts. Like the yeah. amount you would pay in San Francisco, uh, that you just how much you have to pay to live the cost of living. You go somewhere like in Georgia, Tbilisi, Georgia. I think it's like top 10 cheapest places in the world. Um, but of those it's probably this, it's super safe yet. Like it's extremely safe and it's uh, quite open to foreigners. Like they have a digital nomad visa. Uh, they have a lot of incentives to sort of attract people before um, COVID actually, they were doing this. They're kind of like Estonia. Um, and so 
but that doesn't really, I think people have a lot, it's like, how do you do that? I think, you know, certain personalities are more open to it. Um, I would say find communities Mm. where this sort of thing is normalized and then you can kind of, people will help you through it. I don't really know if there's that many actually, I've kind of toyed around with creating one of these communities. So I think it, it, it needs to exist, but I don't know if I have time for that, but (laughs) someone should create that. Uh, maybe I will if I can find time, but, um, that I, I, in general, I'd say for a lot of things, if you can find communities, that's that right now we're kind of in the I think beginning ages of just these really exciting like age of communities where we're going to, where tooling is coming. People are getting, companies are getting like 20 million series A funding around like metrics for communities. Like there's a lot of capital going to communities. Um, and then just, you know, like Discord alone, there's some ridiculous amount, like millions of communities on Discord alone. Um, and there's just so much knowledge you can find from these. Yeah, yeah. I'm very interested, like, because I noticed that you you're doing a lot of things. How do you manage your time and energy to do uh, so many different projects? Uh, I don't think I'm the good person to ask about this. Um, uh, what do I do? I'm. I would say I'm not very disciplined from my perspective, but I'm constantly trying to be <laughs> and trying to kind of get better at this. I think to give you okay the. For example, this last week, I've been a lot better. And, and I'd say when I'm doing well, I'm sort of like task management's really clear. I have bundles of routines, like a morning routine. This is what I do. Um, you know, so like I say, meditation, journal, okay. running. Yeah. You know, those three things, and then like brushing teeth, that sort of thing. Um, but if I get those, if I'm knocking those off and getting good sleep and that sort of thing, um, everything else kind of just rolls faster. Like I have my on-deck work, which is a very... Uh, pretty strict timeline that I keep for that. Like this, mm-hmm. I am doing that around that. And then sometimes based on the day, I'll adapt it. This is also one of the beautiful things about remote work is uh, I can adapt my day to fit whatever comes up. Um, like, let's say I have to have a meeting. It's just easier for my coworker um, to have a meeting at 9 a.m. I can switch to that and then yeah. work on something else at a different hour um, when I would normally be working it on deck. Uh, so you can you can move things around, but I would just say to short answer routines being, you know, having routines, it just changes your life. But that's mm. thing. Yeah. Build the system to support you. Yeah. Cause I do yeah. a lot of different projects. I got asked this question quite often. Yeah. I feel like you, you, you're very good at this. <laughs> I think, yeah. Once you build the like routine, you, you can't just go automatically. You don't need to think about what do I do next. You just do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So final question. What do you get most excited about future? That's a great question. It's a lot of things. I think I think what we touched on before about this, this I don't know what you call it, but it does feel like there's something going on where just people are more open to different ideas um, and they're excited for that. So like I would say that like as an umbrella just, I don't know what they would call that, but whatever that is, I find really exciting. Cause that's, I mean, I'm super open-minded. I think it's partly, it just comes with the habit of people who, who travel around that just happen there. Either it's a filter for people like that, but also it broadens your mind, just seeing all these mm. different cultures. Um, yeah. And so it feels like the world is becoming more open. Um, like maybe just more open to wild ideas. Like people are talking about crazy ideas and it's normal. Like that's, uh, you know, like we're talking about <laughs> cloud cities and, you know, how decentralization and just all these really interesting ideas. People are like making countries and stuff. Like some of it's kind of wild uh, and we'll see what happens. But uh, I just love that this is 
there's this openness right now and excitement around the future, um, at least amongst certain communities. True. I do feel like when I'm online and uh, chat with people from Twitter, I feel like mm, I belong to here with all the crazy ideas and the future. But uh, mm-hmm. when I live in London, you know, it's a old city and a lot of people, they're not adapted that fast. I feel like I, dif- I live mm. in different worlds. I feel like there are two communities <laughs> living in this world. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting yeah. observation. Yeah, I do feel the, the gap between the online and the physical mm. world. I don't know if you noticed that. Or... Oh, for sure. I think that's like, a, I think this has basically been the main idea. That's why I've been so interested in cohorts, remote cohorts the past mm. uh, almost five years now. Is because it basically, like in, in programming, it really was clear to me when I first started to do it. Uh, oh, I, I forgot about that too. So when I left teaching, I, w- I wanted to become uh, a developer. That's what oh, I was I transitioning to. Yeah. And that's kind of, uh, on, in, on the way there, I created Chingu. But um, part of the reasons why I created Chingu was I was in rural Ontario. I'd gone back to Canada to do a coding boot camp. And then I pulled out of that. But I was learning in Rural Ontario, it's like farmers and factory workers and that sort of thing around. Mm-hmm. No programmers in my family, like don't even have any friends that are programmers. And yeah. so I remember working on a challenge and just being like, ah, how do I do this? And like yeah. and talking to friends or family and they're like, I don't know what you you're talking about. have no idea, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, there's no empathy there. Uh, and maybe they can't, right? It's just, but then once you get into a cohort or a community of people who are they understand, like, I get you. I understand, like, oh, here's what I did to help with this. And you're like, oh, it just feels so nice to be around people who are excited about these. Um, and so I guess, yeah, that'd be one thing. Super excited around communities and, and, like, optimally organizing people to really kind of to allow them to reach their potential in these different things. Because um, I feel like when you group people together, you know, these ideas, like what you mentioned on Twitter, Twitter is basically this and maybe a more broad mm-hmm. topic. Like, you get in tech Twitter versus, uh, I don't know, it's probably like a biology Twitter is its own Twitter now at this point. Uh, um, but you just around other people who get it and who are excited about this as well. And so it just like energizes you. Whereas in, in real life, it's just harder to find that. You have to find those physical groups. True. You know? Or you build one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But even then it still has it. Like if you have to have critical mass, like in London, it's easier to have meetups where mm, you would have a meetup around these topics. But then it's still... Like people have to go there. You have to schedule time, and you know it's uh, true. A lot yeah. of trouble. Yeah. So, what's yeah. your top three tips for community building? Because I'm um, I'm running a writing community for my Chinese reader at the moment. I'd oh, love nice. to learn from you. Yeah, because I never like organized or run community before, apart from my corporate jobs. Yeah, but this is for my personal passion. Any tips? Okay. Okay, uh, let me think on the fly. And I'll probably be sending you stuff after. I'll think of something for sure. Sure. Um, I would say you'd want to, you want to A, create an environment that makes people feel really comfortable uh, and and excited. And so thinking around how do you do that? So an easy way would be, I didn't say easy, but uh, a way would be create some sort of summary, like something that summarizes the community and kind of shows them what you see because you have the pers- you're talking to everybody, you're seeing everything. Whereas each person, they might mm-hmm. be busy, they might only see, you know, in, in engage in the community like a couple minutes a week or an hour a week or something. Um, this is why I do the roundup. Uh, the roundup community roundup is because it allows it's a, a kind of a quick way where I can send to you and say like this is what's going on, and it's almost like 
you can express how you see the community. Like you see it, but it's hard for other ones to see it. Um, and so it's like a way to show them uh, what is really going on. And, and it's also a way to get people excited uh, generally. Um, and so there's kind of an art and science to that. So you'd want to experiment and play. And it kind of depends on your personality as well as a community builder. Uh, different people have different personalities. They, they can bring, you know, interesting things to the table, which is interesting in itself. So that would be one, or I guess that's two, really. That's like creating a, a friendly and uh, exciting environment would be one. And there's various ways you can do that. It's a pretty general thing. But And two is more tactical, is like have a, a community roundup. That could be through an article that I've done it previously. Um, even today, I was listening to the Bankless podcast. That's um, They have a DAO, Bankless DAO, if you've heard of that. Um, and they have a weekly roll-up that's like around crypto stuff, which is like mm-hmm. all the news around crypto and, and that DAO and memes. And it's in a podcast form. And then what would be another one? I guess intros channel is a, is a tactical one as well. Like have an intros channel, whether, I mean, depends what, like where your community is housed. Like if it's in a Slack or a Discord, it's a lot easier. Um, but it could be however way you do it. And you'd want to basically, the essential thing is, you want to be able to know like who each person is and like specifically it's kind of like design to intro structure as well. It's probably sounds a little nerdy, but uh, it makes a big difference. And so that like it's optimized for ways that other people can connect with them. So if I, if I go into a community and I see like a big blob, like a big paragraph blog blob, it's hard to read. I don't know what they're going to write. Whereas if you see like a really well structured intro, I know like, oh, I connect them on this. It's like very easy to read and, and find and connect with them. And so that can help the community connect together if they know, you know, because y'all have every community will have like the super connectors who will, you know, like Kriti in this one. She's absolutely that. Like she's probably talked to more people in the community than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I say, yeah, yeah. I got a meeting with her next month. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> cool. yeah definitely. So what's your next destination this year? Uh, so I'm thinking um, next week is my, I have a flight to Tbilisi, Georgia. I booked a round trip when I came and I'm debating where to go. I was thinking either uh, Izmir in Turkey, different, another city, Montenegro, or back to Tbilisi. Tbilisi. Um, I think I'm going to go back to Georgia because I, w- I want to go to the other ones, but I just have a lot on my plate right now, juggling different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to focus and hunker down with a place that I know, friends that I have, uh, that seems a little more attractive. So I'm probably going to go to Georgia for a month or so and then back to Canada, hopefully, whenever they open up. Thank you so much for your time today. And thanks for sharing everything. Oh, this has been awesome. Talk soon. Yeah, thanks for setting this up. Ciao. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cherry Journal. Remember that you can join my monthly newsletter at chameleyang.com, where I spend 140 hours digging valuable insights from books, articles, and podcasts, and share them in a six-minute, easy-to-read email. If you like the show, please rate or leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover this podcast. I'm your host, Camille Yang, the Chewy Girl. See you next time.